I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. I am so excited to introduce you to my next guest, Nate Barger. As you all know, I always talk about how we get to go first in deciding what story in life we want to live. Nate is living proof that anything is possible. And you're going to hear more about his story. He is a real estate millionaire. He is absolutely incredible. I think it's Nate. Well, first of all, welcome. Nate Barger, so great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me on on your show. I appreciate all the kind words, probably too kind. But uh, thank you and thank you to all your viewers for watching. And Nate, we're going to start. I want to start this out by talking about the number of homes you have flipped, the number of homes that you own, all the incredible real estate work that you have done. Because if we start with that and then we drop back to what your life looked like in the beginning, I think it's going to blow people's minds. So tell me a little bit about what you do today. And I'm just in awe of the success that you've had. And I think it's so incredibly inspiring, not just everyone because of what you're going to hear that he is achieving on a daily basis, but where he's come from. So Nate, let's start there, please. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, I flipped probably over 4,000 units. And um, today I hold about 1,800 units, four hotels. I got a hotel coming out of the ground, a couple other uh, big developments we're doing. Um, probably about $250 million in real estate and all this guys. And I was bankrupt nine years ago. Um, You know, we always have, we always have plenty of opportunities to make excuses in life. However, excuses are easy to make, right? But by making excuses, really all we do is leave our generation in ruins. And so you have to always tell people, you got to think about your why. And, um, you know, coming from poverty, just growing up in poverty, I always, I always envisioned that I was, wouldn't be poor. I didn't know how, but I always envisioned that. And it was a, it was a tough journey along the way, as I'm sure your journey has not been easy either. But, you know, today I put together deals and, you know, yesterday I just got off of a cruise and I I called my partner, uh, Mike, or he called me and he, he was all excited. And I guess he was kind of excited. And he said, um, told me about a deal that he just got done for us. I didn't even know nothing about the deal. And he was like, uh, well, get excited, Nate. You just made a million dollars and like literally made a million dollars yesterday on a deal. And I was like, okay, man, let me, uh, I just need to look at, you know, I need to look at it and I'm, I'm busy with the kids. Can I? And then I thought like, man, how insensitive was that to my business partner? So I got to call him back today and, you know, because he was, he was all excited. Like I just made you a million dollars, Nate. But it, it gets to a point where it's not about the money anymore. It's about helping you guys, helping people change and define their future. Because I know what the struggle is like, and I've been there. 
And I hate to see people struggle. And Nate, I think your ability to help people uh, is so powerful because of the journey you've been on. So if you wouldn't mind telling everyone about your upbringing and where you landed in your 20s, what life looked like in your 20s. And I guess what I really want to get to in this conversation is what was the turning point? But first, let's share. Tell us a little bit about Nate Barger as a kid growing up and what direction your life took at that point. Yeah, sure. So uh, like many of you guys, I grew up in a normal blue collar alcoholic family. Um, you know, a lot of blue collar families, alcohol, drugs. And my family came from like the hills of Kentucky. They were always not very wealthy, but they were always, I would say entrepreneurs because there was no industry down there. So you had to trade and barter. And then my mom's side of the family came from Ironton, Ohio, which was like, they came over from Wells, England as coal miners. And, you know, they didn't live very long. You died in your forties and fifties coal mine. And it was just a real dangerous job. And they migrated to the Cincinnati area and both of them in the 1930s and 40s so they could come here and get these great automotive jobs um, that, you know, we used to think in, in, in this country, like, oh, those are great jobs if you get one of them jobs. Um, and in reality, it may, it may have been good jobs back when they came here compared to what they were doing. And so, you know, my, my mom's side, they had 11 kids. My mom was like the middle kid. She didn't get any attention. And then, so she met my dad and he gave her some attention. They got married real young, had me, my sister, my brother, like back to back to back. But I don't think they ever really fully developed. My dad was an older one and was kind of pushed out of the house. And his mom died a few years later at 39. And, you know, he was an alcoholic and then she was an alcoholic. And so by the time, you know, they were 20, 21 years old, they had three kids and almost all in diapers. And <clears throat> so my dad and her, I guess, were distanced and, just became alcohol, you know, they were drinking real bad. And uh, my daddy, you know, one of my first memories that I had forgot about till I went to counseling years later to work on myself was him hanging me over the dam by my ankles. And I was four years old and I just thought, it's my dad who I thought loved me. And my mom, you know, she's over there terrorized. I didn't realize it at the time, but I'm like, why didn't she help? You know, and she probably was shocked. And then, you know, he pulls me up and I think I'm going to die at four years old and, and he starts laughing. And so I pushed myself away from people. You know, I, I, I was I was like had this bubble around me where I didn't really care about people. And when I said I didn't really care about them, you know, by the time I was 14, I was in military school. By the time I was 16, I was, you know, running. I had a crack house. I was selling crack cocaine at 16 years old. I came back from military school and my whole neighborhood was infested with you know, my my dad worked. Not anybody who worked would have left that neighborhood. It just got real bad. But, you know, he was an alcoholic. So he, he I guess he didn't see what was going on around him. And so, you know, I went on to, you know, just inspired to listen to rap music and wanted to be a big drug dealer. And so by the time I was 18, um, by the time I was 22, I've been in and out of prison twice and had four felonies. So nobody would hire. So I did the only thing I knew how to do to make money. I started selling drugs, but then I started hooking up with organized crime and uh, start bringing marijuana into the country. And I wasn't bringing a lot in like, and when I say a lot, it was maybe a lot to you guys, but it wasn't a lot um, compared to what some people bring in. But I was getting about 330 pounds every trip, every week. And 
you know, I make $242,000 profit in three or four days. So money was nothing to me. My whole twenties, I just partied and drank and I was a womanizer and, you know, just, I was reckless. I was very reckless. I had became an enabler to people around me, um, people that sold drugs for me. Um, even though I was a leader, I realized that I had all these traits that you take on in a dysfunctional family. So I was enabling my brother and sister and thought taking care of them was them not working in me. It was just dysfunctional. And so by the time I was 29 years old, man, I knew the feds were watching me and, um, you know, I was going, I was going to go to prison for 10 or 20 years if I got caught by then. I couldn't stop. And the reality was I was an alcoholic myself. I'd become an alcoholic and, um, you know, I just didn't know what to do other than sell drugs to make money. So I did the only thing I knew how to do. I cried out to God and um, with tears in my eyes and snot coming out of my nose. And I just, I just told him like my whole life is a lie. And I remember just calling his name and calling Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then he came to me and he delivered me. It was August 14th of 2004, delivered me. I had just got a, 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 a weed some weed back and I was like I ain't touching that and I had all these people I had four or five people that distributed for me and they were like come on I need some weed I need to make some money and then you feel compelled because you feel like man they helped me get where I'm at and then I just was done I cried out to God and um, I didn't know what to do I had I had a few million dollars in cash and you know over the next you know couple years I would I would go through that because I spent money like crazy but um, I put together a business plan to do real estate and I remember um, even back then, I put together a plan and I was like, well, I can make $10,000 a month. And I was like, I can't live off of that. I mean, I was a mess, man. My budget was $57,000 a month as a drug dealer. I was reckless. And, you know, I, I would go through the next, you know, year, year and a half. And, you know, I probably got 64 arrests, I think, in Hamilton County, 64 arrests. Um, or court cases. And that was after I got them expunged. So there's a lot. You can look me up on uh, Hamilton County uh, Clerk for Court, if you don't believe me. Um, Nate Barger, Nathan Barger, Nathaniel Barger. And, you know, I was just, I was a mess. But when I cried out to God, my life kind of, it didn't do the sudden change thing, but it, it was transitional. And so first thing I had to do was stop selling drugs. And then um, I ended up meeting a woman that was just amazing in my life. And I fell madly in love with her. And you know, we're married today and we got a, you know, beautiful, beautiful kids. And, um, you know, we just came off of a cruise and we're celebrating 15 years this year, but she would go on and help me get sober. And November of 2006, I, I, I got sober and I've been sober ever since. Um, no alcohol, not a drop of alcohol. And, you know, get you a good woman in your life, man. If you don't have a good woman in your life, she will turn your life around. And so I'm just so grateful to her every day. Um, and, that, and, and that was probably a story, but I started learning how to do real estate in 2005. In 2005, my first year, I did about 13 properties and I did what now is known as the Burr, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. And I made about 330,000 cash out. I went to my accountant, I was worried about paying taxes. He said, yeah, you don't know no taxes. I was like, really? He said, yeah, all that money was loans that you got out. So I would, I would really focus on that, but I was kind of like all over the place. I didn't have any college experience and I was just out here doing stuff and doing what I thought was right. Um, 
and even though you know god had i had cried out to god i didn't really incorporate him into making my decisions in life yet i hadn't graduated at that point and so from 2005 to 2010 i had accumulated about 250 units i had a 50 something acre junkyard i had industrial buildings and i was bankrupt the great recession hit i was over leveraged i didn't have a core focus i was all over the place and so for the next three years um as my wife stood by my side and, and Sarah, when I tell you she stood by my side, she not only stood by my side, the one thing she said she wanted, if she was going to raise a family, she said, I don't want to have to work and raise a family and come home and cook and clean. And so I was like, well, babe, I, I got you. You ain't got to work. I can, I can take care of the bills. And, you know, I felt like, man, I'm letting her down. Well, she came to me when she found out we were bankrupt and she said, I'm going to go get my job back and help out. I just, you know, I cried. And, and as a man, I was like, I can't let her do that. I know how much she hated corporate America. And so it just gave me the motivation. I didn't care. I was working 20 hours a day. I didn't even care. I was like, I am going to reach these goals. I am not going to stop. And for those of you that, that don't know how you're going to do it, you don't necessarily have to know how you're going to do it. But what you have to do is set a goal and you have to set a big goal because once you got that goal, then at least you know where you're going. I, here, let me explain it like this. You could look at the highest mountain, right? And you could say, that's the goal up there. Well, at least you wake up in the morning, you know where you're going. If you don't have a goal, then you're just walking all over and you might walk right by the goal. So set big goals. My partner, Mike, calls them big, hairy, audacious goals. <laughs> BHAGs. And Nate, one question here, because I love this, and I think the goal, one million percent, but what it sounds like to me is you now had this deep emotional reason why you had to achieve this goal, and that was your wife, and that was what you wanted for her. Now, in the mm -hmm. beginning, you know, when you're dealing, and I have so many questions about that, because, you know, at that time as a kid, I feel like you can have influences, right? Your, your parents weren't really there to teach you anything. So was there an influence? And, and in life, you can have people that are warnings and people that are examples. Um, was there a person that you just followed into this, you know, dealing and, and all the stuff that you were doing because you didn't know any better? And what- Yeah, absolutely think like what was your why then what was your even if it's a kind of one like oh I wanted you know respect I wanted friends I wanted this like what was your why then that led you to doing that kind of stuff um let's start there yeah. I have so many questions because what you've, yeah. you've just told such an incredible story yeah I mean it was you know rap music I'm listening to rap music and there's nobody that tell me like, Hey, Nate, that stuff's not real, man. That's all educational. That's like, nah, man, it's real, man. I'm gonna be a big drug dealer. I'm gonna have all these women and cars and jewelry and I'm going to be happy. Right. And, and you think all that stuff's going to make you happy. And in reality, in December of 1996, I'm in prison and I'm doing time in solitary confinement. All you got in solitary confinement, I had a Bible in there. So I'm reading the Bible. And look, I, I hate to keep going back, but that's just my story, man. So I ain't trying to be religious. I'm just telling you. Yeah, so I'm in there and 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 God comes to me. But I didn't know it was God, really. I, he said, hey, what if I told you you could be happy? And I kind of I kind of laughed. And I said, what, you going to bring me some women, a red Ferrari, some alcohol? You know, and I'm in a hole. 
They said, no, 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 you don't need none of that. And I was like, well, talk to me, man. I'm in a hole by myself. I'm doing 30 days, right? I'm like, talk to me, man. I need a friend. And, and so uh, he said, what if you just decide to be happy? Yes. And I was like, huh? Decide to be happy? And from that day forward, I made a promise to myself that I would never be unhappy again if I ever got out of that prison cell. Because listen, you think prison's bad, right? Then they put you in solitary confinement. You like, prison's a break, right? So think about that. Then I said, if I ever get on, out, out on the streets again, man, I ain't never going to complain, man. Again, I don't care if I'm homeless. I don't care if I'm living under a bridge. Because see, you've had everything stripped away from you. You can't see your family. You can't talk to anybody. Um, and you don't realize how much freedom you really got when you're out here. Like, man, I can go and simple stuff. I can wipe my butt with Charmin. Like, you know how good that feels, man? Like, you know what, you know what that paper, that you know what that's, what you got to wipe your butt in there? And the small things, think about it. That's small in life. So if you wake up with oxygen in your lungs, you should be grateful and celebrating every day. But in America, we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from that. And we are so, um, you know, it's just so hard for us to appreciate what we got. And I feel like a lot of people, man, they need to, and I ain't gonna say they need to go to prison, but they need to go to military prison. They need to have a, a mindset shift. You know, their mind is whack, man. They don't even realize what they got. And they're going to waste their whole life and not change anything. And it's a choice, just like you were saying. You get to choose yep, you what get, you want to feel, what you focus on, the meaning you give, the things that are happening to you. I had the same thing in my life, Nate, where I said, I don't want to suffer anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to live a story that is a triumph. I don't want to continue living a story that's a tragedy. That's and right. I, this is why that's I right. love your story because you had that moment where maybe not mm -hmm. in these words, but where you said, I don't want to suffer anymore. I want to be happy. And what is required to be happy is to appreciate and not take for granted this beautiful miracle and gift of life. And the oh, fact yes. that it's you so have beautiful. the freedom. You have the freedom to choose whether to focus on what's missing or on what you have, whether to focus on, you know, everything that's wrong or everything that's right. And this is why I so wanted to interview you because that shift, and I'm wondering back a little ways, you said there was a date in August one year where everything shifted. What happened on that day? What was it that, that shifted everything for you? It was August 14th of 2004, um, and I was supposed to get married August 8th of 2004, and I canceled the wedding. It just didn't feel right. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug dealer, and I cried out to God, and he delivered. Like, you would, you would not understand this unless you were in my shoes, right? And I'm talking to your audience. Being a, a drug dealer is not, it, it, it's a disease. Like, you don't want to. Like, I didn't want to, but what else was I going to do? I'm 29 years old. I never had a job in my life. I got four felonies. It's the only way I know how to make a living. I tried 10, 15, 20 different businesses. I just kept failing and failing and failing. The only thing I ended up back at was selling drugs. It was the only way I knew how to make money. I cried out to God. I couldn't stop. It was like an addiction. I was so addicted to selling drugs. I couldn't stop. And then when God delivered me, boom, just like that, he delivered me. And I was just didn't want anything to do with it. 
And that was that moment crying out to him. And I would go through it again. And, 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 and I, was, I was on probation for a DUI. And I caught another DUI. And I thought, man, I'm really in trouble now, right? Then I had another date, March 22nd of 2006. I went to court for this DUI, right? And I'm on probation for a DUI already. And I walked out of the court, I promise you, I just had my faith was so strong in the Lord. And I walked out of court off probation and the case got dropped, right? And I go out in the hallway to call and talk to my wife, who, who's now my wife. She wasn't my wife then. March 22nd, 06, guess what? She was at the doctor. I said, what's wrong, babe? She said, I'm pregnant. I was like, whoa, that was a date I'll never forget. That was the greatest day of my life. And, you know, I was, got my first boy, Caden, and we named him Caden Pharrell Barger, which Caden stands for fighter, and four is English for four, and E-L is God, fighter for God. That's what my wife named him. And so, you know, now I had my purpose. I had my family. I didn't want to be a drug dealer. I just wanted a family. When I would see all these people and they say, man, Nate, you got everything. I'm like, I felt lonely. Remember, my dad hung me over the ankle, uh, damn by my ankles and I pushed everybody away. And so now I had somebody that I loved probably for the first time ever that loved me. Um, and, and that gave me meaning for life. But even then I wasn't fixed, you know. She told me, she was like, you're a narcissist. And I was like, huh? So I looked on Wikipedia and I had some guy looking in the mirror. And I was like, man, that ain't me. I don't really care how I look, you know? But I had all these traits. And so I went to counseling. I listened to her. I loved her so much. And I said, well, you know, if that's how you feel. And I went to counseling. And that's when it came out, what my dad had done to me. Um, you know, hanging me up. And, and that may not be, there's people that went through way more trauma than that, right? But as a four-year-old kid, when you think your dad's going to kill you, you know, it, 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 it does something to you. Wow. So and I had to re I had to rework myself. Right. And that we rewiring of the brain, basically. But what I love and what I'm hearing is, you know, throughout it all, you just wanted a family. And maybe even with the drug dealing and working with those people, you thought maybe this will be my family. And you realize, no, this is definitely not my family. You find your wife who you fall in love with and she's having your first child. And now you have purpose. And it changes everything for you because with great purpose, we will do whatever it takes to fulfill what we hope for. What do you think for people that are in a similar situation, not necessarily in prison or, you know, dealing with that kind of stuff, but people that are kind of trapped in a life where they're not happy, they're not fulfilled, they, they, they're dissatisfied what advice can you give to them based on what you learned through this journey that can help them get on a different path? Is it just find a purpose? Is yeah, it... great question. Yeah. What well, you... I, I think that's a great question, but I think it goes, I think it goes deeper. Um, you have what's called, can you hear me fine? Yeah, perfect. Okay. Can okay. You... I'm sorry. So you have what's, what, yeah, you can't, but you were going in and out a little bit, but you have what's called a scarcity mindset and an abundant mindset, right? And oftentimes those that have a scarcity mindset have limited belief and limited thinking on what they can get in the world. Um, and, and, and the world is abundant. I don't know if you've ever flown in the plane and you look down and you look at all these trees in this vast land that's not even tapped. And there are so many resources out here, but what we're taught from a young age is um, 
number one, to be consumers and not investors. And I need you to think about um, the people that you're around because you are going to acclimate to the five people around you. You're going to be in the, the sum total of those five people. And so I have family that have scarcity mindset, but you know what? I still love them and I understand who they are. And, and, and even though I try to help change them, sometimes you just got to accept that that's who that person is and love them for that. Um, but once you identify whether you're around scarcity mindset people or abundant mindset people, you can then make that shift and you can start to feel empowered yourself. You no longer feel like, oh, the world's against me. The world's holding me back. Man, the world ain't got nothing to do with that. That's your thinking. That's society's thinking. If that's what you're willing to let go, then that's what's going to happen. I was in, um, where was I at? I was down in the Keys uh, last year. What is that down there? Siesta. It wasn't Siesta Key. It was, we, I was down at Ritz-Carlton and we were staying at um, one of the, uh, uh, what is that, right below Miami. Uh we were we were we were at the we were at the Ritz Carlton down there, and this guy he pulls up in the Lamborghini, and you know I like cars. I got a Lamborghini, and I'm talking to him about it, and you know I was kind of asking what he does for a living. He said I got a construction company. I said, uh, "Well, where are you from?" He said, "Cuba." I said, "Well, how long have you been here?" He said, two years." Okay, two years. And I'm thinking, uh, man, did you have money over there? He said, "No, no, no. I came over here. I was a carpenter." I said, you're a carpenter. I said, now you're driving a Lamborghini. I said, come on, help me out, brother. What'd you do, man? He said, well, when I got here, he said, I, 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 I believed I was already wealthy because I made it to the United States. And I was like, huh? He said, I believe the only thing ever that was keeping me from becoming wealthy was coming to the United States. And once I made it here, I knew I was rich. And I was like, so how did you get rich? He said, I started off as a carpenter. And he was making like 20 bucks an hour down in Miami. And he said, within three months though, he started getting his own contracts. And I was like, huh? He said, yeah, I started my own construction company. And uh, I was like, man, so you got your Lambo two years? He said, yeah, I did $20 million last year. Look, why? Mindset. Mindset. He didn't have the belief that he, he didn't have the belief that he couldn't do this or that. He believed that the only thing standing in the way of him and becoming wealthy, becoming what he wanted to was him getting the United States. As soon as he landed here, but see, we got people that born here their whole life who just, I got another guy in my academy and he, seven months, he became a millionaire. He was a Jamaican immigrant in 2015, came with $1,000. Guys, look, man, you guys got to wake up and you got to take responsibility for your life. But first you have to find your why. If you can't find your why, you're not going to do it for yourself. My why was my wife. My why was my kids. To be honest with you guys, my why was my great, 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 great grandkids who I never even meet. I put a dynasty trust together for them so they'll never have to worry about money. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to enable them, but I'm going to give them opportunity to go out, you know, and that's what it's really about is opportunity. And I love to show people how they can do that, too. Um, growing up poor, never going on vacation as a kid because my dad never had any money. Why? Drinking all the time. So I can relate to people like that, man. I can relate to people that feel like they weren't deserving. I didn't go to college. You know, I was an outcast because I had four felonies. Nobody wanted to be around me. I was a bad guy. So I get that. Whatever you're going through in life, I get it. And I'm telling you, man, I had a guy, what did he tell me? He said, man, you don't know what it's like, man. I got two felonies. I said, I got four, man. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Society is forgiving. Real estate's great too. Nobody cares. They don't care if you're black, if you're white, if you're fat, if you're pretty, if you're ugly. Do you got the money? Can you close a deal? 
That's all they care about. They don't ask me, Nate, did you go to Harvard? Now I went to prison. Oh, really? Oh, that's great. Like they don't care. Nobody really cares. That's why I love real estate. And I guess that's why I acclimated to real estate. So amazing. Okay. All these stories are incredible. And I talk so often, Nate, about abundance mindset, basically focusing not on how far you have left to go, but how far you've come, focusing on what you have, you know, what's possible, what you love, what you want to create, and how that brings you to a place where you are living a story that's going to take you where you want to go. So I love this so much. Now, I'd love for you to share what you do with your Burr Burr Academy, right? Is Am I saying that properly? I'm not. Yep. I love what you're doing because you are making this possible for anyone. And if you want to share um, what the process is and how people can get involved, that would be awesome. Yeah, so I got a private Facebook group that has about, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand people in it. And I show them what I can. But really for the people that really want to go deep and really are tired of their jobs, they know that there's something different out here. They feel like, man, I was forced to go to college. Maybe college wasn't for them. And I'm not here to bash college, guys. College isn't bad. But there's people out here that are just natural entrepreneurs who feel like, man, college ain't for me. It's going to train me to go work for corporate, uh, corporate America or whatever. Um, and you were pushed into this box in this corner. You know, real estate may be for you. Did you know that not, it said 90% of millionaires make their wealth in real estate? 90%. And you know what I tell from people say, well, I don't have no money. Man, I don't care nothing about no, you not having no money. 88% of millionaires are self-made. So when you're broke, great place to be, right? Why? Because, you know, life is math. So you can start putting math to life, right? And so um, what we teach people in there is how to do the bird. We call it 72X because I show them how to 72X their money, take $30,000 and turn it into $2.1 million dollars. And I tell them five years and I'm being conservative. I've had people in my academy. Academy's only been out a year and we've already had seven or eight millionaires come out of there. And so, you know, it's like people, people know, uh, let, let, let's, let me put it like this. People will be like, hey, if, uh, why don't you go dig for gold? They'll be like, well, I don't know where the gold's at. What if I could tell you where the gold at? Gold is at. What if I could tell you how to mine the gold? What if I could tell you how to go get the gold? Now you maybe just go dig up a couple scoops and you got all kinds of gold. The other guy's digging up these big old mounds. So their real estate is very, you got to be very methodical about it. You got to know what areas to buy in. We teach them all that. We teach them how to manage a contractor. We teach them how to do the burr. We teach them how to go through the bank, get their original capital back so they don't have to save for three or four more years to do more properties. We teach them how to do no money down deals, how to wholesale themselves, how to pretty much do everything that I know how to do. Just while I was gone away, I'm doing a, a high-rise building down in Panama City Beach. I just got under contract on the beach. Um, no money down. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a freaking no money down, $40, $50 million development. You know, it's all strategy. It's all knowing how to look at the deals, knowing what areas to buy in, knowing how to analyze them. I mean, there's so much more to it, but we got weekly coaching calls. And we also have an online community that's amazing that supports each other. So there's just so much about real estate that I'm passionate about. Because I know that no matter your background, your color, your, your whatever, that you can become a millionaire in real estate. All I ask people to do, look, give back. Have a giving heart. Don't have a scarcity heart. Have an abundant heart. The more you give, the more you will receive. That is so true. And Nate, obviously, with anything, 
you know, we can say, hey, this is how you can become a millionaire. You do this. It's not going to just fall in your lap. Like mm, what is required? Right. What, what character traits are people required to lead with in order to make that happen? Because it's not going to just happen because you make the decision to do it. So yes. what is required? Talk about the grind. Talk about what needs to be done. So you have to understand you are shifting your mindset from a consumer mindset. Remember, consumer. Remember when we were kids? I don't know about the girls, but here's what the guys wanted. We like, man, Ken doing it big. He got Barbie over there. He got a Corvette. I want to be just like Ken, right? Got Barbie the big house, but they didn't tell you was he was living paycheck to paycheck, right? Because Ken was a consumer, okay? So when you become an investor, you have to be very disciplined with your money, right? And here's why. Think about it. If you're a, uh, uh, give me a trade. Let's say, let's say you're a carpenter, right? And let's say the carpenter takes his hammer and his tool belt and he throws it in the water. He just gets rid of it. Now he, he shows up to work and they say, hey, man, where's your tool belt? Man, I got rid of that. I ain't need that. You can't be a carpenter, right? So what's an investor needs money. So you have to view your money different. You can't just throw your money away. You can't throw money away because you're an investor. That's your tool belt. So you got to be very disciplined in money. Now, once you start to get to an area like where you start to have a lot of money or passive income, you spend a passive income. You're not working for that anymore. That's great to live off of. And so what I show people how to do, really, five years, I can show anybody how to become a millionaire and you're going to have between 10 and $14,000 a month in passive income. That's money you do not have to really work for. You just have to make sure that the assets being managed properly. We're going to show you how to identify areas that go up 5% a year. We're going to show you how to do that based off of demand drivers, basic jobs in the community. Basic jobs are what really drive the community. And when you really learn how to identify those, you can almost predict what's going to happen in the housing market in that zip code. That's how you get wealthy. You don't get wealthy off of the cash flow. The cash flow allows you to hang on to this asset. It goes up in value. So here, I'm just using some quick math. Uh, first quarter of 1963, when they started um, tracking the median um, price of housing, it was $18,700. $18,700. Second quarter of this year, we just $440,000. Guys, that's what happens in real estate. You hang on to it. It just goes up in value. That's okay. how you get wealthy. Wow. This is incredible. And Nate, if you could talk to that teenager, you know, Nate Barger teenager, what would you tell him now that you would have loved to hear then that may have changed things for you? But what would you tell him now? Well, I mean, I don't ever learn to do or do when I grew up in, in a drug-ridden uh, uh, community was sell drugs. And it was, you know, buying weed and bagging it up, buying crack and bagging it up. It was the same thing as real estate. I would say, hey, here's why real estate's so great, Nate, because you can take, let's say um, you buy an $80,000 property, you put 40,000 in it, you're all in it for 120, right? You go back to the bank, it appraises at 160,000. You put a renter in there, you get 80% of the 160 back, which is 128. You only had 120 in it. You got all your money back plus $8,000. You don't have to pay taxes on and this property is going to go up 5% a year. So in five years, that property, 5% uh, compound, 160000 is worth $204,000, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you don't owe $128,000 on it anymore because the tenant, you've been collecting the rent. You've been making about 
$200 a month in positive cash flow. Every month after you pay everything, including the mortgage, your mortgage isn't 128,000 anymore in five years, it's 115. So you got $89,000 in equity. And I would show Nate that formula. And I would say, now, Nate, here's how you identify the areas that are going to have the 5% growth. You want to look at basic jobs and you want to understand the multipliers on the basic jobs. And I know this kind of going deep in a micro, but, you know, durable goods manufacturing has an 8.2 multiplier. So if you see a thousand new durable good jobs coming into town, that's really 8,200 jobs coming into town. Now you want to figure out, do you have a housing shortage or a housing surplus? If you have a housing shortage already, now we're going to have to build new to meet demand. Now, the build cost, is it more than existing inventory? If it is, then you want to buy this existing inventory up because it's going to come up. The prices are going to come up. And that's how you get wealthy. And, and, and in a nutshell, trying to do that in two minutes for you. I would show Nate that because Nate would have understood that on paper. And then I would have understood the assignment and I would have went out and I would have said, okay, here's the things that I need to do to get all that together, which is what I show people in the academy how to do. That's why we're having amazing success stories because we don't, you know, we're not charging 20, 30,000 like these other people. Cause like for me, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I get high. I get an emotional feeling of euphoria by seeing these other people become millionaires because I know not only have they changed their life, but they've changed their great, great grandkids' lives. People that I'll never even meet. Right. And it's all because they made a decision to change their mindset. Amazing. And what's, what, is there anything else that you are looking to um, become? Like who is Nate Barger becoming in your life right now? So, so I mean, I kind of got a goal and it's, it sounds wacko. And I know people, whenever you set big goals, they're wacko goals. So there's 54 million millionaires in the world right now. 22 million of those are in the United States, right? That's how much opportunity we have. I want to directly and indirectly create another 10 million millionaires, right? Through real estate. So I want to take back some power from the big corporations, right? The big corporations that are making all this money, I want to give it, and the people that are out here working for these big corporations, I want to give the power back to the people. I want to show them how to create their own wealth, their own legacy. I don't want them to have to be like, man, I'm going to work till I'm 65 and then life's going to be great. I got this pension coming in. Like, no, that's not living a life. I mean, 65, your health may be diminished. Your kids are going to be grown. You know, they're going to need help along the way, man. So um, for me, my passion is really that right there. Uh, and then I got a nonprofit that I'd like to start up and I, and I already got um, really want to show these inner city youth how to do the burr, which is to buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. And I want to fund the down payment and work together with local communities to, to fund the down payment. And then once they do the burr, maybe I put a quarter, put a quarter million dollars down for each city. Then once we fund that, they get the money back. We take that quarter million back and give it to another group of people. But along the way, we're going to take these kids. And, 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 you know, inner city kids most of the time and teach them how to be, we're going to teach them carpentry. We're going to teach them property management. We're going to teach them the financing, but we're really not teaching them to come in and be carpenters or property managers. We're teaching them to be owners. So I want them to learn all this so that they can be, go out and do their own properties. And then that's how you change a community. Nate, that's amazing. And what I feel is that you are out doing and wanting to be everything that you didn't have growing up. That's right. Um, you're exactly right. And, and I mean, 
you know, you look back and God, he gives abundantly. Like he gave me so, you know, he's, he's my father, right? So there's nothing he doesn't have that he can't give me if my heart's in the right place. And so that was one of the key things that I had to realize. My partner, Mike, called me out and I was working on a property and he called me out. He said, hey, I want you to come out and come out into the truck real quick. I didn't know what he wanted. And he just said, hey, man, put your head down. We're going to pray. And he said, he said, we about to, he said, you know, usually when you pray, you asking, you know, are you praying? He said, we about to tell God what we want. And I said, ooh, you being real arrogant with God right now. But uh, he, he said, nah, man, sometimes he, he gave me the scripture. He said, look, man, you got to ask God sometimes for what you want. And he just, he told God, he said, we want over the next five years, we want 500 units in a hotel. And man, it happened in nine months, right? And it just happened that quick because when you ask God for things, he can open doors for you and he can close doors that, that don't need to be open. But what was the purpose of that? The purpose of that wasn't so we could, you know, go out and, and it was the purpose of that was to drive and do his will. You know, and again, I don't want to get religious, but guys, I'm just sharing my story, man. You know, if you're a different religion, that's that's great. You know, I'm not here to knock any of that, man. I'm just telling you guys my story. Yeah, amazing. And and what I love, and I think the most important piece is in giving, being given a second chance and being given these gifts and these opportunities, I feel that carries with it this great responsibility. What will I do with this to make a difference? And I see that so clearly with you that you truly, what you want and why you want to help people is, yeah, you want to give other people what you never had. And you get to experience what you never had by being it for everyone else. So, so, something else too, something else too, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to tell your viewers is that, you know, I'm that weird guy when I walk in the room, you know, I'm like cargo shorts and this and everybody else is in suits and they look down on you. Right. And I know what that feels like. And I, I I'm comfortable in me. And so then, you know, once I started making money, then they find out who they are. And then some of them would were working for me, but they didn't know. And then they're like, Oh, that's Nate. And it's like, but I saw the judgment there. Right. But I understood that the judgment was their insecurity, right? That was their, their, that was their projection of insecurity. So guys, if you got anybody that's projecting things on you and, 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 and guessing or questioning who you are, that's their insecurity. That's not your problem, that's their problem. So be comfortable with who you are and be who you are. And have that, I mean, I know for me in my life, that's been fuel for me. You know, that yes. people looking and thinking, no, she can't do that. That's fuel for me because mm -hmm. it's, it's <laughs> even greater reason to go out and do it. And suddenly they're talking about how, oh, yeah, I knew her. Yeah, she's my friend. You know, so use it as fuel. You get to give that judgment the meaning of, oh, this is going to break me down and this means I'm not good enough. Or you can give it the meaning, hey, this is going to be my fuel. Have yes, it empower yes. you rather than disempower yep. you. Nate, That's how right. can people find you and follow you? Thank you so much for being with us today. I think it's such an inspiring story, and I know you'll just continue um, doing great things in the world now. No, thank you so much. Um, so, guys, look, man, and, and girls, like, I just want to thank you guys for your time. Thank you for listening to my story. Look, no matter what you've been told about yourself in life, man, it's a lie unless it's great things. Um, you know, right now I have a clear path to having a billion dollars worth of real estate over the next three years. 
that doesn't even matter to me anymore, guys. Once you get some, so, so much money, the money doesn't matter. What matters is you. And I'm here to reach you guys. Uh, uh, me and Siri are taking time out of our day because we want you guys to win. We know what it's like to win. We know what it's like to be an underdog. And look, we know what it's like to be counted out by society. And we're telling you right now that the only difference between those who succeed and those who fail is the person who succeeds, he fails and gets up. He fails and gets up. He fails and gets up. And that's it. You just got to keep getting up and going at it. Do not give up. Do not change your goal because the circumstances get tough. Expect the circumstances to be tough. You can find me on natebarger.com or I have a, a, a Facebook group, B-R-R-R-R, Invest. I have an academy where I show people how to become millionaires, normal people. You can work at McDonald's. I don't care about none of that. I got people quitting their jobs, quitting their W-2 jobs, people that never thought they would quit because now they have freedom through real estate. To me, now they're going back and they're giving back to people and they're helping people. And I feel like that's the community that we need. So, um, man, I love you guys, man. I just want to see you guys enjoy life while we have it here on earth. We're not here forever. Enjoy your kids. I don't want you to have to wait till 60 or 70. And then you're trying to figure out how much money you got and hoping that you don't live past you past 80 because you're going to run out of money. You don't need to do that, man. It's, it's a different way. So no matter what your background is, no matter what the projections are that people have on you, there's so much more to life. And I want to see you get out here and get it. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Nate. Boom. That was amazing. Boom. Thank you there so you much. And mic drop. Oh, that was there a, we hey. mic. <laughs>